It's time for Talkwood with Matthew Von Devant. This is episode three of Talkwood with me, your host, Matthew Von Devant, the host with the most hang-ups. Thank you very much for listening to the first couple of episodes. Um, I see that from the website, that's talkwoodpod.com, T-A-L-K-W-A-R-D pod, P-O-D.com, that uh, a gratifying number of people have listened, or at least tried to listen, or, or, or at least gone to the website, and have listened, accessed the page where the, the podcast is situated, uh, but directly from the website. Unfortunately, according to the podcast app, there are a very ungratifying number of subscribers currently, So I would, as a matter of housekeeping and urgency, ask you please to open the app or program or whatever it's called that you use to access podcasts when you're trying to sleep at night and don't try and deny it. I know that's what you do and it's okay. I do it too. It's acceptable behavior these days. Go to the app and uh, search for Talkwood with Matthew Fondavant, T-A-L-K-W-A-R-D with Matthew Fondavant. My surname is V-A-N-D-E-R-W-A-N-T. Do not call me Matthew von der Walt because um, then I will put you in the same category as the South African Revenue Service. Speaking of names, I recently became aware that my first ex-wife um, changed her name back to her maiden name, which was Pinar. So she's now Lisa Pinar. And I, when I heard about this, thought, well, that's cool. We all do what we need to do and, you know, express our independence. And it's probably stupid to take your husband's name, surname in the first place. I mean, lots of people don't do that anymore. Um, When we got married, it was pretty much the done thing. But then I found myself thinking, well, it wasn't as if your surname was, I don't know, Lorraine or Lefebvre or uh, something like that. It, It was Pinar. And you chose over Fondevant, which has such a nice ring to it, especially when you say it like Fondevant. Anyway, no, no, I'm totally cool with it. I'm just making a joke. So, yes, please go to your podcast app and look for Talkwood with Matthew Fondevant and subscribe because I'd like to have more than the current number of subscribers that I have, which I think is two, and one of them may or may not be me. The other one might be my mom. I don't want to talk about it. What's been going on with me? Well, I have been... Let me first tell you, my guest on this episode is Martin Evans, who is um, a very established, well-known, and uh, seasoned South African stand-up comic actor and voiceover artist. He's been responsible for lots of uh, award-winning shows, uh, including collaborations with other comics. I was aware of him because of my involvement in music and he was often there at the festivals and um, clubs and things like that doing a sort of MC role and he struck me as someone who firstly was into music um, and someone who had something going on and then I became aware of him again quite a bit later on social media um, Twitter and Facebook in particular Uh, where we had, I wouldn't go so far as to describe it as a bromance, but there was a sort of mutual respect of one another that I found quite appealing. And I really, really enjoy his vibe on Facebook and Twitter. I find him 
honest and heart on sleeve and uh, there was a sense that I've always had rightly or wrongly that he and I share a similar combination of quite serious insecurity and lack of self-esteem coupled with quite a large ego and uh, self-belief and uh, 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 an idea that we might have something that other people should be made to endure or listen to or experience and I find that a very interesting dynamic on social media in particular and I, I like the way that Martin always has presented himself so he will for example after a show put himself live on Facebook cycling home up a hill just talking about his experience of the gig that he's just done in quite an honest and forthright and um, unglamorous way. So I've always enjoyed his presence and I got in touch with him via social media and said, why did you come and talk? And he was very nice. Unfortunately, I had technical problems, which are entirely my producer's fault. Uh, the show is currently produced by me. What happened was we had a very groovy conversation for about 40 minutes where he was telling me all sorts of interesting things and we were really at that point where we were just chatting and a bit unaware of the artifice of the microphones and headphones etc and I glanced over at the MacBook which had been giving me problems and noticed that uh, it wasn't recording so we had to sort of artificially go back and try and fix it and I hope we did okay it was nice to speak to him I was very happy to have met him he is quite a dashing fellow and um, uh, and and also just very willing to to share and talk, which is what I'm trying to get people to do when I talk to them on this podcast. So before we get to my talk with Martin Evans, which I think was quite fun and I hope you're going to enjoy, I'm going to tell you a little bit, not too much, about what's been going on with me. Mainly since the last episode, I have been more and more aware of a sense that I have that I am enjoying being a single man, which is something I have not really been since quite early adulthood. And I am particularly enjoying the sense I currently have of not feeling beholden to anyone and not feeling defined or particularly concerned for that matter about what somebody whose view of me is for whatever reason very important thinks about me. And I am just experiencing being predominantly by myself and uh, enjoying my own company. So I've been doodling on the piano and I've been doing quite a bit of work. I've been quite busy at my law firm and I'll talk about that at some stage, but not today. Uh, one has to be careful uh, as an attorney, particularly one who has a tendency to wear his heart on his sleeve, not to talk out of the boardroom, as it were, because we obviously have all sorts of uh, obligations of confidentiality, which those of us who take the job seriously, and there seem to be, in my experience of the profession, fewer and fewer of those um, as time goes by, but I would like to consider myself as one of them, um, take pretty seriously. So I need to be very careful about talking about my work, and I'm going to be. So if you happen to be a client of mine, don't worry, your secret is safe with me. Uh, 
But what I was trying to describe to you before I started talking about um, the legal obligations of confidentiality was a sense and a growing one which is inside me of being almost at peace and a feeling of calm and not having my thoughts and feelings uncomfortably mixed with what somebody else thinks of me or with their thoughts and feelings. I am a little bit concerned that I might be turning into a curmudgeon um, and that I might be in the process of cutting myself off from any kind of intimate, meaningful engagement with any other human being. But as I say, I'm aware of this danger and I am talking it through with uh, professionals and friends and I don't think it's going to be any sort of long-lasting problem. What I'm trying to say is at the moment, I feel good. Not, not better than James Brown, but okay. And it's nice. Uh, quite a few people have commented that they want to hear me talk more about Jackson. I don't know what more I can say about Jackson. He's uh, the, the rescue dog who arrived here in a terrible state. Because he's now, uh, my sense anyway, is that he has no uh, appreciation of where he's from. He's like, a, he's like a dog. I don't think he's aware of his dark past anymore. Um, occasionally I'll see him chewing on a brand new pair of school shoes or um, a pair of socks. He, he, he particularly has a thing for feet and socks and shoes. I think it's a smell thing. I don't know. It is a little bit disturbing. But I see him getting into a, a school shoe and I, I do sense some taking out of some sort of pain there. But I might just be projecting. I don't know. We have not got to a point yet when we can endure an entire night of sleeping together and that is because both of us snore so either I will kick him out halfway through the night or he will wake me up in the middle of the night with a plaintive look in his eyes and he'll be whining uh, and basically begging to be kicked out. But he's an awesome dog and I love him. He's sleeping now and I'm not going to disturb him. Aren't you Jackson? He opened an eye. Okay, before we talk to Martin Evans, there's something I want to address. I am aware that I am now interviewing my third white male in a row. I'm uncomfortable about it, and I think we need to talk about it. So what do you think about it? I'm going to be honest, I have tried to contact a number of uh, black people that I would like to talk to, so I've uh, I've sent messages to Justice Malala and Nakane Toure, both of whom I think would be awesome guests. Um, and unfortunately, it hasn't yet worked out. And for whatever reason, and it's probably to do with how fucked up things have been here in the past, most of the people that I know are, are white. None of them are my friends, though. The only friends I have are black. I don't know if that means anything to you. Anyway, I am working on it. I am aware of it. I don't want it to become an issue. I know that I've now made it an issue. And in fact, I even raised it with Martin Evans and tried to make him apologize, basically, for being white, uh, which he, he didn't do. But I am going to speak to a black person. And uh, I think we should make that a podcast goal. Matthew with somebody black. Right. Here's my talk with Martin Evans. Nice guy. I hope you enjoy it.
Have you not done a your own podcast? I've done lots. Oh, is it? Uh, Rob and I did Pants on Fire, uh, which became a sort of stage show thing. Yes. Do you want to get in there into the you like into that one? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Are we on? Yeah. Yeah, we did um, Pants on Fire, which was initially just a creative project Rob and I did on what was the Two Oceans Vibe radio when it started off. Yes. And we were just making up shows, sitting on Garage Band. Recording little jingles, trying to make like radio plays as if it was like Springbok Radio. We were having a hell of a lot of fun, but very quickly we were like, oh God, there's no one listening to this. Yes. In the format that we was going out, which was like the live South African yes. radio. No one was podcasting. Everyone was trying to be on radio by just putting it on the internet. And right. Then, and no one was listening immediately. And then there was no backup to kind of go, well, that was a really cool interview with Inga Beckman. Yes. And, and then it's like, oh, it's fucking gone. No one... Yes, you sort of have to do it for fun, uh, yeah. Hello, dog. B- b- rather than any other reason. Yeah. Okay, so we've just um, we've just had probably the best interview that's ever <laughs> going to be done, and discovered that we weren't uh, recording, so we're going to have to fill everyone in a little bit. Cool. You, you were telling me you were telling me where you're from, that you were born in. I was born in London, or well, I say London because it's easier to tell. Slough. I was born in Slough, famous from The Office. Yes. Uh, and I lived there till I was six. My parents emigrated to Alberton, and uh, what was supposed to be a little two-year stay, I think, ended up... Well, it's what? It's 2017. My parents still technically live in the country, so it's been a long time. Where are they based now? Port Elizabeth. That was where I had my, my teenage schooling years. Oh, Good shit. Old P.E. P.E. Mm. What was that like? When did you move there? I don't know if I would have... I was maybe 1988, 89. Oh, fuck. Things were at their worst then. Yeah, it was. It was like... I don't know if I would have been unhappier or happier anywhere else. I always thought I was going back to the UK, right? I always felt like an immigrant kid. I was always English living in South Africa. Huh. And uh, PE was maybe Sounds the most... Lonely. Kind of in a part, not necessarily. In Joburg, when we moved here, there was umpteen immigrant kids. There was like, in my school, you were literally British or you were Portuguese. That was Alberton. <laughs> and when it was fo- break time, when you played football, you were either Portugal or England. That was the t- And you know, you were a Scottish kid. You were like, I'm, I'm English. And there would be, we literally would have almost like gang battles. You were either Portuguese or British in Alberton in the 80s, it seemed. Amazing. So few kids. I mean, it was kind of happy time in Alberton. It was lots of friends, and it was the kind of jump on your bicycle and go and play in the streets. And you know, it was. But it was crazy. Right next to you is the uh, the army camp on Fortrecker Road, and you're like as a kid, you're just looking at this, going, "Wow, you know, what an amazing world." And it's incredible. You kind of look back at it now and go, "Okay." On a on a more that was my childhood. Yeah, you know, on a more critical side on Port Elizabeth, I think what I noticed in PE was. I grew up in one of the most fundamentalist, not my family, but mm. in my school and in my surroundings was one of the most fundamentalist Christian environments in the world. Yes. There's very few places who take Jesus as seriously as the Eastern Cape. Yes. And I, I kind of look back at it now, and this is sort of leading to my one-man show and this documentary I'm filming on the yes. Satanic Panic. It was this moment as a child of realizing that adults were as thick as shit filled with conspiracy and superstition. Yes. It was really not part of the journey we were on. And when did you realize this? I mean, at the time, I suppose you were just living it as a I child. I remember being... I first of all didn't fit into PE. PE was sort of like... Where were you at school there? I went to Gray for one term, and that didn't work out at all. I became very rebellious, even though I'm not naughty at all. And, and I wasn't naughty ever in my following up in the schooling. But Gray was very repressive boys only you know and yes. oh, sport 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 yes. as an example I joined Gray midterm in uh, standard 7 and 
I got smacked my first day for not doing my homework in front of all the kids and I was trying to explain to the teacher the reason I haven't done the homework was yesterday when you gave this you homework didn't out, I didn't, I didn't school. I'd never <laughs> attended this school before I didn't know anything about this school and that wasn't enough and I was going like you're a fucking idiot this woman didn't didn't then even take the time to sort of apologize or work. So he's just like, ah, and that's a bunch of dickhead boys are going to be like, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have yeah, to that's fight. That's going to make you rebel. If I'm going to have to fight, it's going to be at this school. It was like going out at break and having your toasted sandwiches, which were quite nice to be quite honest. And then there's the matrix. Give me yours. Give me a bite. And I go, you're welcome. But I would take the thing and I would lick it and literally gob in my sandwich going, you want it? You want to eat my sandwich now? Okay, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is going to be bullying horrible." And, and see, I've never been bullied in my life. I'm not a jock. I, I am a nerd, but I'm not an, like, I'm not a defenseless person. So yeah. I've never had yeah, yeah. bullies. I've just had antagonism where I go, "Like I don't want to be around this." So school, I never, I've never been beaten up in school. Never had anyone like do anything unpleasant to me. But it was just such a mundane space of ignorance. And I look back now, and I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm frankly. I guess we've all got some bitterness at some point in our life. And I think the schooling system thoroughly let me down. Right. Thoroughly. They didn't give me an opportunity to get a matric exemption because I dropped maths. So I was denied the right to go to a university. Well, I don't want to sound like I'm bright, but I certainly think I could have gone to university like the other kids, right? Sure. So that's a written-off opportunity. Uh, and then you just look back at it now and you're like, man, the Eastern Cape is it's not my happy place. Yeah, you got fucked over. Yeah. So but, how did you escape it? I mean, what did you escape it? I did very much escape it. Um, when I finished school, the options then were, well, you know, if you, you could either go to higher education, which was an opportunity for not me, because I, okay, I could go to Technicon, technically, but I had horrible metric results. Like, you know, I'm not going to pass Afrikaans. I'm an immigrant kid who's suddenly mm. now, oh, by the way, from Standard Eight onwards, you have to now pass this mm. shit. So I, I scraped through school. And uh, the options then were, if you're not going to higher education, you're, you're at least in the last year ever of national call-ups. But I'm a year younger than most people who are in my year because of coming over from the UK. Right. So just in that sort of paperwork thing, I'm technically like when everyone went standard eight had to like sign up to their, like almost get a, like a military number. Yes. And every year they would just process those paperwork. I'm like, technically I'm in standard nine when everyone else is in matric. Uh, so I didn't get the call-up papers, and my parents said, well, Jesus, what are you going to do? You know, like, in those days, one year off schooling was all you were allowed before your life is going to collapse. Yes. Oh, my God, you're 19, yes. and you haven't got a yes. house and a wife. And it was very much for us whiteys, it was you go to the army or you go to university. Yeah. That's and I, I, I know that if I'd gone to army, it would have absolutely killed me because I didn't speak Afrikaans, and I had a major anger and rebellion and fear of yeah. Afrikaners. It's like anybody told me something in Afrikaans, it was never a pleasant yeah. statement. It was fighty words. Yeah, sure. I mean, if Grey College fucked you up, imagine what the army would have yeah. done to you. So <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been a nightmare. And my, family, my parents were like, well, my aunt owned a pub in Scotland, a little hotel pub. And I went and I lived in Scotland and I traveled around. I hitchhiked all over the UK. Oh, perfect. At 17 years old. And I think of it now, 17, allowed to just go feral. In my best friend from school's parents had moved to the Netherlands. I stayed there for a bit. I went around. I was in France and I got hassled. I wouldn't let me stay in backpackers because you're like, you're from South Africa. And I'm like, this is, have you seen the movie Cry Freedom? And I'm like, no, I fucking haven't. They're like, why not? I said, because it's banned. It's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to leave so I could learn a bit more, you know? So I got out then, came back to South Africa, ended up like, I've got to do something. I did marketing and advertising at P Technicon for three years, which was an absolute waste of everything. You studied that? I went to it. I, <laughs> I understand. I went to it. You attended some of the lectures. And it was, it was horrible. I started doing community radio in the university. 
I was on Campus Bay FM. Right. And I always wanted to be a radio DJ. Yeah. That was like, that was the dream. Nice. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be the Barney Simon of the new generation yeah. and start playing some hard music and showing the country what was out there. But it was a very interesting time in South African music. It was 1995. Right. The things like the Band Slam tours were sort of going around and there was suddenly this rush where, you know, Springbok Nude Girls and Sugar Drive yes. and Squeal were actually like kind of like rock stars. Yeah. This is being treated seriously. And I was like, Technicon can suck a dick. I'm out of here. And I took a, like the, I don't know, it was like the, the lunchtime show on the radio. And I just did that in my final year. And when it came to exams and all that, I'm like, I haven't submitted coursework. I, I can't even sit most of these things. And I was like, screw it. And then like my last day of the year, I was just thinking about this the other day. And I kind of, and I was a dick. Like that 80, like, like 90s hippie, you know, walk around barefoot. I had, hair right down my back with curls and we're like anything that looked like as counterculture <laughs> as possible you know but it, technically we were hippies because there wasn't this no, consumer sure. world to adopt in those days yes. it was, we had nothing it yes. was like oh, fine you're barefoot now you would be barefoot and walking around with an iPad and you know, like it's like, <laughs> you're not really a hippie you just you just like looking like a dick you know and I looked at my times there and I was like okay and I I reported on a an event that had gone on with uh, some lecturers and there's a lecturer had slept with one of the students drunkenly in the the crawl and some sort of boozy night thing and I was mentioning on the radio like hey that's cheeky cheeky you know and the Technicon sitting like a what do you call it I got brought up amongst a, a sort of disciplinary board he said you can't you can't slander you can't say that a lecturer I said but she did she fucked up <laughs> <laughs> people were they were watching it benefit, you know, like, like, we've seen the <laughs> and they called me before the entire like Technicon board and I thought, this is the best opportunity ever to let them know how angry I am with their shit course. Because they're like selling marketing and advertising like it's a science. Yes. So, right, if you don't answer, how do you, how do you negotiate a sale? The answer is SWAT. S for stop talking to them. W, what are they asking you? That can't possibly be what S is for. Are you talking to them yet? And you're like, for fuck's sakes, this is not a science. You need to finish it. What's the T? Yeah, T is for... Just talk. This is rubbish. And I got to sit in front of the entire board and shit all over them at how low the quality of education had been and what I'd learned from this course. This is when you were supposed to be getting disciplined for having yeah. divulged and stuff I, that I, I is not out, yeah, And they were like, okay, don't apologize for it because that's just bringing more attention to it. We're fine. We'll just leave it as it is. And uh, like, well, and I had about like, a long ass rant and I was taken seriously, even though I looked like a complete twat. Right. And I was like, I walked out of there and went, okay, let's be done. Let's be out of PE. And I went back to the UK and I spent 10 years in London. Having read a bit about you, you've well-traveled. I mean, you've, you've driven around the States. Yeah. You've uh, traveled through Europe a lot. I've, I've, well, You're itinerant. Yeah, I mean, one of the benefits of doing stand-up comedy as an occupation is that you don't have a single space. You're always working somewhere different. Yes. And in the last couple of years, the world has embraced English stand-up comedy much more so than they have in the last 20, 30 right. years. So other than obvious places like English-speaking countries around the world, there's currently a huge circuit of gigs happening, English-spoken gigs in India, China, you name it. You can, I've got friends who are doing gigs in Ulaanbaatar and you know, having the consulate general come out and getting to travel to the most amazing places. And yes. part of why I do stand-up and part of why I'm, well, I'm single without kids. And that allows me a freedom, a little gypsy lifestyle. It's fantastic. And a lot of the spaces you get to go to um, aren't necessarily you paying to go there. Someone might 
I'm not saying I'm going to get flown out to you know Tibet, but if I'm in Indonesia, there's a series of gigs you'll do regionally, yes. and you might get flown out suddenly to a gig, and you're staying in a beautiful hotel, and it's a sort of sponsored yes. lifestyle that isn't real. You're not dipping into your own pockets, but you're you've been looked after, and it would be something I wouldn't be able to. So how much? Of, so what you've what you've described is basically an alienated young guy who didn't go to the army, didn't for whatever bad reason make it to university what what aspect what what amount of uh, the, the 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 traveling bug was it that informed you getting into into comedy actually it's a good question um almost all of it initially was i mean i'd worked not entirely successfully but i'd worked in a sort of corporate environment yes. you know from doing what I went to the UK initially and did anything I could. So I was a barman. Uh, moved on from a barman. I worked as a radio DJ for a little bit. Didn't really enjoy it too much. I was in Wales. I lived in Wales for a year. Uh, moved back to the UK or to London. Ended up working in banking. And th- let's just say I had a, an, like a, an opportunity to do a presentation in front. And we were all like call member staff, right? Yes. And I got opportunity. Well, long story. I got promoted and ended up in corporate banking in like Barclays Global Investors. Jesus. And I couldn't do it because it's like sitting financial exams and I've not got attention for shit like that. And, yes. I, and I just fucked it up. I could, I could do the talk. I couldn't do the, the paperwork. Yes. And then I ended up like some bad luck, break my ribs, and suddenly you can't do this job and you can't do that and it forces you in a new direction. I've done everything. I've worked in factories and then ended up with a job which was quite a cushy job working as a sort of support guy at City of London Telecommunications. And it was nice and easy. And, and that was when I went, oh, I am so bored. Like, what's going to happen? Like, I'm, you, you fall mm. into careers. Mm. How old are you at this stage? L- mid to late 20s. Okay. And I came back to Cape Town just to get out of what I was in to find a new direction. I did a multimedia design course for a year. I fucking hated it. And I realized how dull it is. Not, not dull for those who enjoy it, but mm. how my brain doesn't work mm. as a web designer. It's like, ugh. All, the, all this time in your 20s when you're traveling around, you're on your own. Have you got a partner? Or you mm, I, I mean, over the years... You've fucked <sighs> millions of people. <laughs> <laughs> over the years, I've, I've had a few long-term girlfriends yes. uh, without being married. Uh, I've been engaged and that kind of stuff. But no, I, I, I would, if I represent my youth, it's mostly a single experience. Right. Really, it's, it's the chase. The youth was the chase. Yes. The 30s was, ah, oh, Jesus. And the yes. 40s are, it's the chase again. <laughs> Back to the chase. But the different chase. I don't, I'm a much happier, more confident man. Now, not to suggest that that's what's getting me laid or not getting me laid. But yes. I don't really, I don't have the qualms of my youth that I do right. right now. And it does give you that opportunity to travel. See the world. Stand-up comedy is probably one of the leading jobs that can take you places. Yes. It's also one of the worst jobs to keep you in the same place. Sure. So, uh, huh? Which is maybe why, partly why you chose it, which well, was my original question. Yeah, my, I mean, I've, I've done, I think it's eighteen countries. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I've done oh, about two thousand shows. I've done at least eight hundred odd in Europe, and every single day was a new adventure. Right. Often meeting new comics or meeting ones you knew back on the venture again, and there was an identity that you developed on the road. Yes. And it allowed you to like you're an, you are a full time artist when you are constantly working yes and it was inspiring to a point i'm sure there is also a point where you go you know what i'd really like to do i'd like to settle down watch netflix with a girlfriend right snuggle and not be on the road for seven hours sitting eating fucking roadside pies yes. and sweets and have you ever done that settle down 
Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, Netflix, not so much because you've only been around for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yes, very much so. When I came back in 2010, I had a bad motorbike accident. And I'd quit comedy just before that. Like in the same sort of mini direction I am at the moment. Yes. Uh, I, was, I was badly injured. So I was out. I had external fixation for like seven months. Jesus. I was at least three, four months on my back. And it was, it was a shit time. And, I'm, and some people, Florence Nightingale, you when you're ill. It's a strange way how relationships can start. Yes, like, you're yes. damaged. I can, I can be there <coughs> oh, for well, you. Oh, that's my first marriage in a nutshell. Yeah. And, uh, and then you get better. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and then it becomes, Jesus, like, stop yeah. limping. Stop limping. <laughs> it's been months since she smashed your leg into 20 places. Come on. <laughs> the little things. And I, I, I don't use this as a criticism because I spoke to the lady about this recently, the ex-fiance, actually. She'd been involved in some dramas up here, some crimes, some pretty hectic show. Mm. And I think it had left her with a sense of uh, a little bit, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me alone. And you need to be left alone when your partner's a comedian. And for about, I can't remember how long was it. It's sort of been blacked out as a memory of the relationship. But I couldn't go on gigs. I couldn't come to Joburg. I didn't come to Joburg for about two or three years. Mm. Because she's like, you're not going? No, you can't. No, don't fucking leave me. You know. And then you go like, well, this is not gonna work <laughs> it's not gonna work in many even if i wasn't a comedian that yes that trapped sensation you need yes. to feel that you can kind of and i don't know, say art is such a fucking pretentious way to describe something but what is art you need to find a creative stream somewhere and yes. you can't say Follow what are you it. doing yeah. sit here look after me and like i need a fucking i need to hammer some nails and wood in the garage and like what are you building nothing <laughs> and i get it now when i i i, I have older people in life and you go like why does so and so play golf so regularly why does so and so bird watch why does this one just road run they sound like terrible things to do and you go it's fucking freedom yes and, it, and it's not like I don't want to be around people it's like you just also know yourself and you're great for other people if you're like all well, kind of uh, I can't get out yes I understand comedy doesn't doesn't work well with those who um, you fucking put hooks into you huh um, so now tell me about the project that you're working on at the moment. You're taking a break for, for you've been on a break for about eight months. Yeah, eight months at least. I say six months of working out whether I wanted to do stand-up. Yes. Realizing, frankly, long ago that I didn't. But it's something I do that gives me an opportunity to make an occasional income. Yes. And I have to make money. I'm yes. running out of cash by not focusing on work. But to do something like, okay, the way I've looked at it this way objectively is I've done maybe... Again, I never remember numbers. Five, six, seven one-man shows at least. I've done, yes. Jesus, 60 original performances of Pants on Fire. They're yes. all made up, and they all were one night or one festival, never yes. really to be repeated. Yes. And I'm trying not to leave a legacy. I'm trying to leave something that means I don't have to work continually again for. So if I make a documentary, yes. I don't care. If, I say I do care. But if it, let's say it's not great. At least it's made. Yes. Maybe my second one's better. Yes. Maybe by like documentary five or whatever project I'm by yes. number five. That's quite good. And those who appreciate number five have said, we, will have, we have a little time in our lives. So we've investigated four, three, two, and one. And you've made them. And they can be watched and seen and created like music. All this comedy is just so in the air, done. Thanks. It was a performance. Yes. Go home. Yes. And I now... I feel resentful for almost like I'm wasting my time. I completely understand. I mean, as as having recorded stuff, even knowing that you know, if if 300 people ever hear it, mm. doesn't matter. The fact that it's down there and it's there as a as a recording yeah. of what you were doing artistically, it's kind of all that matters. So it's, I mean, for those 2,000 shows, there's like 
10 YouTube clips, of, yes. which, of which nine of them I'm really not wanting anyone to ever sort of see. <laughs> right. And I go, I'm summed up to somebody who wants to take a snapshot of my life and experiences yes. by some sort of limiting forms. Yes. You know? so, what it, so what is the documentary that you're making going to say, or don't you want to talk about well, that I, now I, because I, it needs to be a... It's exploring a background, and I... I I have my views on religion, and I don't think it's important for me to push my agenda in a documentary. Yes. What I would rather get around to is finding out the questions of who and why, and what were the reasons for people believing certain things in the what time. What they did. Yeah. Is it that in the late 90s or 80s, early 90s, that it was a genuine fear? Was it this cat Calvinist, Afrikaans, extreme fear of the breakdown, the Swat Kafar, the terrorists, the girls are on the pill, the sexuality is changing, folk, yes. they're listening to rock music, yes. and they didn't understand. And I've got this idea that it's like, and I'll let people talk, I'll let them tell their stories, and I'd love a modern perspective from some of those fear mongers of the day. And I'm kind of just wanting to see, maybe, maybe we were really let down by the adults in the access that we allowed other adults to us as children. Huh. You know, like Peter Pollock, he's a cricketer. Yes. As a Springbok cricketer, he can go to any school in the country and say, I'm Peter Pollock. Any chance I can have a little chat with the kids at assembly? Whew. Bring in Peter Pollock. And then he goes up and talks cuck about, you know, the Smurfs are satanic. And yeah. Spends all that time <coughs> telling you about oh, the, the Smurfs boogeyman. not satanic. Oh, you know, well, Gargamel, he's most... I don't know why to use an Afrikaans voice for Peter Pollock, but it's like, Gogmel, he makes a pentagram, and then, you know, the, the girl, she's most made from a spell, and they never, and Papa Smurf, he's got the red hat, and they're blue because it's death, and you're like, you fucking take this opportunity to teach us about things, and you come in and you create this. Mm, and you give that a platform. Yeah. And having, having mentioned briefly what I was interested in doing, I, I feel that as a, as a topic, I've had more interactions with people on social media, Twitter. People send me direct messages going, this, this madman came to my school and he told me this. And, you know, my friend who was gay was absolutely ostracized and bully and, cre- and parents thought it was satanic. And this one got prayed for because he, you know, he had dark hair, basically. <laughs> it, was, it was tough times to just be a moody teenager. Yes. Um, and I'd like to see where it can go in terms of the interviews. Eastern Cape... It's a pretty screwed up place. I mean, it's my school twenty five year reunion. So this this is gonna this is, I assume gonna feature a lot of your story in it and what you I, experienced. Well, I'm I'm not entirely sure how you make a documentary, right? It's not something I've done before. So yes. the process now of sorting out interviews, doing the pre production of it, thinking where the narrative goes, who is important, how do I film this? Is mm. this me just standing on the corner of Fonstan's bridge capturing this in the camera? Is that <laughs> broadcast quality enough? <laughs> and it's it's lining all this together and realizing that as it sort of compiles, you know, uh, it takes time. And when someone in the past said, you know, uh, it took seven years to make Toy Story and you go, How the fuck did it take seven years? And you go, There's so many aspects. Yes. And I have to do a lot of this myself based on, well, no money and no skills. I've got to now learn little bits of this. So I'm not going to edit the whole thing, but I need to be comfortable editing. I need to know a lot more than just standing in front of a camera going, you know, is, is Satan real? Yes. And I'm hoping that the film will answer a lot of questions for a lot of people. I'm going to leave it open. Yes. But I've got a belief that if I kind of disprove Satan, I'm sort of disproving God. And that's hard for a lot of Christian fundamentalists to agree to. They sure. see that oh, if you're not with us, you're bloody against us. <laughs> so you've also been involved maybe tangentially in the in the South African music business. I mean, I remember you from the days when I was doing 
festivals and that. Now we're talking mm. late nineties, I guess. Mm. You'd always be there, and a, a figure on the. You'd often be emceeing the things. And, yeah, just. And what I remember from being a musician also is I had a I had a very good relationship and quite a close relationship with a lot of comedians who uh, sort of stand up comedy and and comedy games and that sort of thing was very much on the scene at the same time as sure. music and there was always a, a kind of mutual understanding and respect between me as a songwriter mm. and and these comics and i used to look at what the the, the comics did people like um uh, vlismus mm. and uh well you also mm. and and just thought it is just such an amazing thing that you're doing to stand up in front of people and make them laugh and to have that as your sort of goal and reason reason to be what is it that you think that I mean? Firstly, do you do you see a sort of reciprocity between between music and comedy, or what is music for you, and why why were you involved in this other well, I think business? To, for a lot of stand-up comics, and I think for a lot of musicians, other than something, it's a slightly similar environment of like the gig. You know, yes. it's a stage, it's a sound system, it's yes. a little sound check. Even if the microphones will be going, hoop, it's on. That's all we need to do. You know, I think a lot of comedians certainly want to be lead guitarists and lead vocalists in a band as much as I think quite a few as you said there's almost a mirror image of some people in bands going I quite fancy wishes and, yes. and I think a lot of I personally have always looked I've got a lot of talented musical friends and you grew up in PE there's not a lot of musical venues and you know the bands the touring ones come through you, you're at the gigs your connections with so and so and it's such a small country that like it's, if you know like 20 people in the industry here they'll introduce you to everybody else right. and years and years of spending around the music industry of frankly wanting to be the band like my brother's a musician yes. uh, all my friends are musicians yes. I'm not I'm the guy who well, I'll just go up and announce the band and it's sort of progressed in some parts over the years but I certainly have music is if not as important to me as stand-up comedy right. essentially and I have spent my life looking for it and listening to it and, and seeking it out in different places and countries and right. I love it <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your social media presence and what it means for you, because that's where I mm. kind of got to know you and like you. And uh, I think we managed to not record the, the discussion we had earlier about... Mm. Is that right? Where are we recording? Can't I, remember now. I Probably not. But but your your presence on, on social media being so sort of endearingly and brutally honest and upfront and without sort of glam and glitz... Mm. Is that something you do consciously, or is it something you can't help doing? I can't help it. I can't help it. Um, again, people have said to me, maybe, are you depressed? I go, oh, no. <laughs> Not really. If I am, it's been 25 years of it. You know, uh, I, I just like honesty. And I think, in the end of the day, is like, my interactions with, I don't have a lot. I don't allow anybody and everybody to be, say, on Facebook. I quite like a relatively small community of people that you yes. interact with. yes. Twitter, I enjoy because it's like friends and family, Facebook, photos of things you have no objection to people seeing into your life. Twitter, I love Twitter because Twitter is an honest space. And I'm, I'm, I like almost being like, why should I have to kiss corporate ass? The whole purpose of being a stand-up comedian essentially was not to wear a suit and tie and, yes. and go to an office. And, you know, if, if I'm going to get a... a promoted tweet from Fanta on my timeline and it's asking me to fill in the line of Fanta taste like I'm going to say Nazi orange juice and you can fuck <laughs> off you know and if they get upset which they do yes I kind of go well, f oh shit maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't troll the brands and I went well maybe that's who I am yes 
And I would say that for every company that's probably going, I won't use Martin Evans because he's he's been rude about fucking liquid fruit before or something like that, you know? <laughs> Never making him the ambassador for Handy Andy or whatever it is. And you go like, oh, I don't really need that. Mm. And there's been occasion recently where it's done a 360 on me. It's been like, you're quite a negative man and honest online. We would like to engage you for a, an yes. actual corporate thing. Yes, that's actually we want you in your to favor. be essentially the dickhead that you can be. Yes. And I was like, all right. I will just continue being this. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting me in terms of getting corporates because I don't get corporates. So if I signed this tomorrow that I wanted to go the uh, maybe a John Flissmas route in terms of – he's been naughty as well. And he's been f- allowed to be famous for being yes. you know, naughty. Yes. I'm not famous. I'm just naughty. Yes. And I don't have the bargaining power of quite a few of the guys. So, as I say. But, it, I mean, that, that in itself gives you a bit of a weapon to, you know, not, 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 not being famous and being a, able to be as provocative as you want is pretty cool. And it's cool. I mean, I like interacting with people. And I, I certainly think life is funny enough that, I mean, I certainly don't objectively go out every day to make people laugh. Uh, life's funny and sometimes it's as simple as you know picking up a pack of jelly in the shops and it's called trotters and I'm going oh, that's ridiculous you know <laughs> there's a little photo and you like send it out and then you've got like I don't know I enjoy social media interactions when, yes. it, when it feels like a little dialogue has happened yes. oh that and this and that yes. and if it's just like uh, another photo of somebody oh cheers Joburg leaving, the f- leaving your city now like, I don't need to see a picture of Joburg from the sky yes. again <laughs> I'll be a cracking shot of lightning throw it in there you know it's like yes. have you had any have you had any nerve wracking moments on, on uh, Twitter or, or Facebook for that matter where you where you say something and the next thing you, you, you seem to, you're almost on the verge of becoming one of those pariahs that people uh, turn on not really I'm, I've actually been fairly lucky I was listening when you were talking to Daniel about it and I know he had a couple of run-ins where yes. uh, you know that Mampara of the Week thing came yes. I am I, well, mention- I was cunt of the year for some magazine or other Jesus thing. okay that's <laughs> I mean well, that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's an honor level, but, well yeah. I, I thought so yes um, <laughs> I mean I've said some things that have got me in shit uh, I've said some things on comedy stages that have got me in shit and I've got a joke but I would say probably fundamentally the best joke that I sort of do in the introduction of my set, which I talk about, uh, I lived in Burkamp, and I'd moved to Devatakant. Yes. And that's the Muslim suburb and the gay suburb that border each other. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's no, like, line where you go, that's gay, that's Muslim, whatever. Right. And, and for two quite extreme versions of society, if you want to call it, right, there's no contact between each other that's negative. You never hear about gay bashings in the area. There's no, like, Muslim hate that's going on. It's a very, very calm place. And I do this joke about, well, if you're in the gay side, you hear the gay sounds of the area. And if you're in the Muslim side, it's more traditional Muslim. So I said, if you're walking up Chapini Street, you've got this sound where it's Kylie, la, 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 la. And you step into one step further, la, 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 la. You step in, la, 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 la. I said, and you can... Put five spices down and masala powder to let the Muslims know and glitter with the gays. And, and the gays go, thank you. That's nothing wrong with that. And the Muslims mostly go, thank you. There's nothing haram really about the joke. You're not insulting us. Of course, we have call to prayer in our yes. neighborhood. You know, that would be what you would hear when you step into yes. it. I threw a few more peppery words in. But this man watched the show in Cape Town Comedy and was like, no. Uh, he was a Joburg Muslim guy down for a, a break. 
had been at the show and was deeply offended and wanted me to write written apologies, this, that, and the next thing where he's going to the Human Rights Commission, et cetera, et cetera, oh and wanting to have fatwas declared on me, et cetera. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm. Like, I don't, re- I don't, I've got no enemies. I've never yes. consciously. You're not Salman Rushdie. And I went like, this is how something could spiral. No, yes. it really didn't. And I spoke to various Muslim uh, friends and yes. for advice, and they were like, listen, most people are just shouting from a background, and they're actually quite scared, and they don't have the nuts to confront you with it. So it's, it's a smear campaign from a distance, and they'll lose interest. And if it does go viral of sorts, it'll probably boost your career amongst a greater percentage of uh, compassionate Muslims who yes. understand the world, right? Yes. I was going, holy shit. Um, it's still kind of frightening Pretty to think scary. that you might end up by just saying some words, getting some shit. This is making me think of a, uh, you know, I used to really struggle with people not listening to my songs because for whatever reason I thought that the words that I wrote were important enough to listen to. I now accept that, well, you know, why? Mm. It's just people being there is enough. But anyway, I used to get pissed off with crowds for not, um, for not uh, listening yeah, to. Yeah, focusing. Not focusing, you know, mm. not making me the center of attention. And, when I felt like that, what I would do is I would basically antagonize the crowd by telling disgusting jokes. And mm-hmm. I once, and so this was when, I mean, believe it or not, at one point I, I had like a publicist and a person who did marketing yeah. and everything. And they were all at the, this gig and people were talking while I was playing. And I just stopped playing and I told the joke why did the feminist cross the road. And yeah. the, suddenly there was silence because now I'm a comic and I'm yeah. telling a joke. So now everyone's listening, why did the feminist cross the road? And I said, just suck my big fucking cock. <laughs> and, and I got into shit for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it, yeah. People, are, um, people are so easily offended. And, and, you know, in the corporate environment, it's particularly. Yes. I've really upset some corporate yes. games. It's all about the brand. You've got to, you know, the, don't tarnish the brand. I did this one corporate. I might as well tell it anyway. Uh, for Spur. Okay. Remember, you got a veto over this. Spur. Yes, for spur. <laughs> Topical. Topical <laughs> situation. I don't really... Th- I'm just worried because I just did a voice job for some part of the greater brand thing. But um, I might as well tell this. I worked at Spur as a waiter when I was a 19-year-old. Uh, so did I. I got 99% for their waiter's yeah, test. Because a three-hour exam. Yes. Like, define our cheese in terms of percentage of lactose. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so I was so fucking Ooh. anxious. I went oh. home and I studied for this thing. Yeah. And I, I, I think it was the award. generation of the smartest branded waiters. It, people were super waiters in those days. That's true. It was, yeah, it was a hustle. You knew everything about <laughs> the history of Spur Mountain and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. <with laughs> who the first Indian guy was that they stole the concept from. It was, but I worked for Spur. Again, a little bit of, you know, those of those who worked in those days knew that it was, it was a pretty tough environment. You would pay for your uniform, pay yes. for your little notepad, and suddenly you're doing a table of 20 and they want a separate bill. It's just cost you two rand. <laughs> Fucking slips for these people. I hated Spur. And uh, when I eventually left, I resented that place a little bit. And I ended up being booked to do a corporate function for the entire Spur. <laughs> this is a golden opportunity. It was. And I got out <laughs> and I thought, I was a little bitter. And it was going shockingly. The comedy was like, and these are, these are, a particular type of man generally owns a spur franchise, right? Yes. A cunt. Not, not all of them, because I've met some really nice people in the environment, but there's a certain toughness to being a fucking franchisee owner in South Africa. Right. I did my comedy and like, I looked at them and it was like, some of these guys spend a lot of time in the gym. There were some big, angry men and they were really unhappy with me. But I was watching like the senior table of the big, big guys. And they were having a giggle. And I started like teasing them, like, what, what is it with your fucking restaurants? People come in, they go, you like a milkshake, what flavor would you like? I like a pink milkshake. Like, no such flavor as pink, you cunts. You know? 
And then they were just looking at me like going, ah, uh, uh. And it was at Fancourt. Beautiful hotel rooms. I'm playing golf the next day. I had to sneak out. Oh, God. You, you I literally had to. I had to, had to. And I had to. Like, like, there's no way I'm going down for <laughs> dinner and breakfast tomorrow. I had to sneak out. And a bunch of them bumped into me like, where are you going? We want a word with you. And I'm going, okay. Even in corporate. Depending on the corporates you're doing. Like, you know, you get booking for ABSA. You might upset some people, but it's ABSA. You're probably not going to get fucked up in the car park. Right? <laughs> but you get booked for... You might get ah, fucked up. John's <laughs> fucking car parts company. Big and banani. You, you could see your ass heavily for the wrong gig. <laughs> Warren Robertson, uh, one of the comic friends, um, he's, a, he's a very honest comic. But he's, he's got a very... I, I don't, certainly not a, an insult. He's a kindly man. So he doesn't give off a forceful, scary persona. I mean, like, if he went, if he went feral on you, I'm sure he'd hurt you, but he's, he's not that man. Yeah. And he got kicked, you know, beaten up in the toilets after a gig by, like, that typical Joe Berg. The kind of people who shoot mining magnets. You know, those yeah. kind of guys. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> all around here in Norwood, I think. I've seen a few of them, man. I've, I've seen some of the incidents online that have kicked off with, ah, you raped a child. And yeah. you're like, did you rape a child or did you just want to kick his ass in public and humiliate him? Because <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard what I want to hear from you. Oh, thank you. This has been quite therapy-like. Oh. I, 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 did, uh, I did a podcast uh, at Sexpo before it opened for the Cliff Central This thing. year? Uh, just two days ago. Just yesterday, now, yeah. yesterday, was it? I've never been Friday. there. It was a guy, I always want to see that guy paints with his cock. Precasso. Yes. Oh, Jesus, man. He looks lonely, hey? Is it erect? I don't think so. I don't think so. But that's—I'm not a prude. But I looked at Sex Pony. It's like the Rand Show for fucking. Yeah, no, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not hot. No, it's not. <laughs> I'll give you one thing that they did. Uh, they've got technologies kicked into the world of adult entertainment, right? So the, they hadn't opened. So it was just before the, the expos kicked off. So people are setting up their stalls and what have you. We finished the podcast. So we're going around with the camera, filming a couple of stalls, and then they have this. Um, like, a, like a, a travel vagina that you would take with you as a, a oh, yeah. man, right? I've got one. Okay, I, I can't afford this. <laughs> They're expensive. This is the good f- ones. <laughs> 15,000 rand. Yes. Okay, so I, like the guy says, come here, we'll give you a, a, not a demonstration, I'm not going to fuck it, but it's in a plastic case with its orifices open. It's a twerking doll with working vagina and anus. They gave me a little finger condom and they put on those VR goggles that you know those Holy things on your shit, phone yes. right it's linked to Pornhub where the subscriptions then link the correct porn content to the angle of the doll so that it can be interactively and then fucking like, amazing 15,000 rand of which about 2,000 rands worth of that is cleaning products but <laughs> <laughs> it was so creepy I was like thank you but you know what? It's a strange world we live in. I'm not suggesting I'm going to go buy a 15,000 rand vagina, but uh, oh, women are shopping list. Well, women are very comfortably buying a range of dildos and vibrators with what seems to be less and less shame in society. Well, exactly. I don't understand. What, look, I don't have a fake vagina. I no. have owned one in the past. I have to mm. confess to that. Um, <coughs> and I, I actually dropped it out of a, a window. <coughs> well, that's another story, but I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> what are you using it in a window? Like Wanderlust. Just leave me. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand why why there's such a, 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 a bad vibe to them. Such con- a considering huge bad vibe is a bad phrase to use in this yeah, context. But what's the word you use? There's such a huge stigma. A stigma to, to them. Like if you, whereas you know, women can. Walk, I mean, you can buy dildos in the spa just about yeah. these days. Yeah, or like a plastic vagina, please, yeah. and uh, just make it two avocados because yeah. it's fifteen grand. That's 
That's heavy duty. This is cool. Thank you yeah, very no, much. I've got one more question. Yes. How do I get black people to come talk to me? Because at the moment, this is becoming a podcast where I only speak to white men. I see. And yeah. I've written to a couple of black people like Justice Malala and, you know, um, uh, Nakane Ture, mm, the singer. Mm, mm. And none of them answer me. I think it might be my surname. Yeah. Yeah. I, I maybe just uh, change it. But uh, but getting back to that one thing, and I don't mean to sound that I'm, I'm pretty certain in this country there's there's one thing people don't realize is how easy access is to almost everybody. We're a small country with connections yes. to everyone. Yes, and I'm sure if anyone's listening to this as well, they've probably got suggestions of people that they might go, "Hey, fuck you, you should go and have a chat with Matthew. That might yes. be ideal." Okay, I mom, think it'll happen. Mom, make a few suggestions. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to a few of my friends and I'm gonna put them in touch with you. That's what you I'll do. Black friends. I've got well. Does I've got like two white friends. Yeah. I've got one really black friend from Uganda, so I kind of count him as like a few black people. <laughs> well, it was on that sort of edgy, probably slightly inappropriate note that uh, the interview uh, degenerated. I do feel I need to, to tell you that Martin and I were the parties to probably the best interview ever done, which went on, as I said at the beginning, for about 40, 45 minutes before I realized the producer, that is me, uh, wasn't recording for some reason. Uh, and I blame Apple for that. And this podcast is not brought to, to you by Apple. I mean, that interview, at least, wasn't brought to you by Apple because it didn't record. I still don't know why, and it does worry me. Anyway, it was nice to talk to him, and it was nice to meet him. And uh, it's always weird to meet someone that you sort of like and admire but don't really know. And uh, he was great. And like all the guests I've spoken to so far, forthcoming and honest and open. And um, I'm still enjoying this, so I'm going to carry on doing it. And my next guest that I'm talking to is... Oh, God, he, he, uh, he's another white male. I really am working on this. It is becoming an issue, certainly in my mind. But my next guest is the wonderful, friendly, master journalist, Gus Silber. Looking forward to talking to him. I do also have a, a, a woman lined up. Oh, fuck, but she's also white. Jesus Christ. Listen to what Chris Letcher did uh, and with his wife to um, my new song. It's pretty. Lonely not at home Hanging on a phone I worry about you How I get you down And how do I I come back, allow you over or around Without your love, without a sound I doubt my feet without the ground Now I'm hanging over you Sorry I am blue But this is how I get you back Get me out let you down Only me I know Down to hanging on my own Sorry I am blue About you now the cutting down 
allows through every crack I have to doubt. No love, no light, no sound without your light, without your sound, without your love to cut me down. Let them roll me over like a stone to fall between the semi without your love, without your sound.